If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for episode 73 of the Early Excellence podcast. In this week's episode, we're joined by Hannah and Ruth from Discovery Bay International School in Hong Kong. As part of the conversation, we discuss how the team have created an approach which builds effectively on early years practice and also enables strong transitions to take place. So here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Hannah and Ruth from Discovery Bay International School in Hong Kong. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, how are you both? Are you, all, are you both well? Very well, thank you. Yeah, great, thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It, this it feels fantastic, I think, to be reaching out across the world like this uh, and just to be saying hello to you. Um, so um, you're going to be talking to us all about the school, all about Discovery Bay International School, aren't you? And um, I had a look on, on your website yesterday. So in preparation for our call, I had a look on the website and wow, what a setting for a school. Um, you know how sometimes, you know, there's sort of, um, names of schools don't always fit with actually where it is. You know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes a name of a school you think, oh, that sounds amazing, and then actually the setting isn't always that amazing. Well, um, for your school, definitely it is, without a doubt. Discovery Bay sounds incredible, and the location for Discovery Bay is also incredible, isn't it? So tell us a bit about Discovery Bay, because it is absolutely stunning. Yeah, I think um, so. Discovery Bay is in Hong Kong and it's based on Lantau Island in Hong Kong. Um, and I think we really are a unique community in the sense that um, we're in a big city, but but Lantau Island is very different. So we're in the heart of the mountains and we have access to a wonderful community that's, um, you know, lots and lots of different um, nationalities, lots of different children from many different backgrounds. And unlike many other international schools in Hong Kong, we very much serve the community in which we live in. So many of the children are able to cycle into school, they're able to, um, to walk, to, to be with their parents as they come into school. Um, and then we have a, a small number of children that come on come on a school bus but they come from areas that are very close to the school so sort of a 10-15 minute bus drive away um, so we are very unique in the sense of our location within Hong Kong where you sort of think of skyscrapers and, and the city but actually Lantau Island and Discovery Bay itself is, is very much a, a community um, and we like to call ourselves an international school that's set within, within a um, very unique community where we have access to our parents and, and to this lovely um, mixture of nationalities and cultures and backgrounds. Wow, wow. Yeah, I did um, a sort of a, a virtual tour of the school yesterday on your website that kind of, I suppose it must have been filmed by drone or something like that, because it kind of literally zooms across the, the top of the buildings and then shows you this panoramic view of, of the beach, you know, and leading down to the beach. And I was just thinking, gosh, that sounds amazing, you know, to be that close to the, that close to the seashore must be amazing. So yeah, thank you. That's that's wonderful. It sounds absolutely idyllic. Um, and and sort of then, could you tell us a bit about your role? So so um, 
Hannah, first of all, um, your head of early years, I noticed on the website that it says head of early years and then in brackets, nursery to year two, which straight away kind of um, grabbed my attention because I thought what an interesting way of doing it to have that that kind of being head of um, not just what we might call in the UK sort of early years nursery through to uh, the end of reception but actually to have it broader than that so can you first of all Hannah could you tell us about your your role and we'll, then we'll move on to Ruth would that be okay? Yeah absolutely um, I think it's important to first of all point out that we're, we're an international school but we follow the UK curriculum so um, we start with the early years foundation stage in nursery and reception and then move through into key stage one um, and we're actually a through school so the children can join us at the age of three and then they can move through to to finish at the, at the age of 18 and at the end point which is BTEC and A levels that the, the students um, gain qualifications in. Um, so my role is head of early years and like you say it's it's it encompasses nursery through to year two um, and that was part of um a, re a restructuring at one point of the school to think about the practice that was happening within nursery and reception and how we could really bring elements of that practice through into key stage one um, so that we can foster a more play-based approach within key stage one um, that's inspired by um, the practice that happens in nursery and reception but actually recognizing that there is still a key stage one curriculum and that therefore what key stage one looks like in comparison to the early years foundation stage can be quite different um, so to have that oversight of um, the early years foundation stage as well as key stage one is a really unique role but it also I think helps to um, close that gap sometimes that I think we see between transition between reception and year one and that is one of the biggest differences that we've noticed is that the children move through a progressive um, approach in terms of when they start their nursery and move through into key stage one but actually there are many similarities and there's that that familiarity about the setting that they are in um, in order to help them make those transitions and successful transitions. Um, we're actually, our, our early years campus is, is separate. Um, so nursery and reception is what based at one site um, and then a five minute walk up the road is where the rest of our site is situated from year one right through to year 13. We do have a separate sixth form campus as well. Um, so it, it's um, the child that is geographically quite a challenge for the children in terms of transition because they move from two different from one campus to another. Um, but having brought the phase itself under the umbrella of nursery through to year two, that helps us to be able to really build connections between the two campuses and to have that seamless approach for the children. So um, yes, my role is head of early years, and so I do oversee um, all of the, the the teaching and learning and, and the students and the staff. That that work within that phase yes yeah yeah but I should think that's very interesting to have that overview across from from nursery through to year two and to see that that progression that continuity and progression between each of those different age ranges I think is is really interesting and I think important that that you've got somebody who is leading that not sort of it being broken up into different sections which is what we often see yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Okay, super. Thank you. And and what about you, Ruth? So you're um, acting deputy head, is that right? Yes, I'm currently acting deputy head. Um, I'm doing a maternity cover in that role. So within that, I'm supporting Hannah. But I also have maintained my year group leader position, where I am the year group leader for year one. So that is also the sort of pastoral care for year one, working with the teachers within the team and the educational assistants making sure, you know, teaching and learning 
and the curriculum, the assessment aspects of that, as well as being that sort of liaison person with the parents for the year group. We are in key stage one, we are for form entry. And so we have around 25 to 26 children in each class. So obviously those year groups can be quite large, potentially in comparison to the UK, if you've got over 100 children in one year group. Um, so yeah, those are my sort of main responsibilities within that. Um, but I have been at the school for seven years. This is my seventh year. And I've worked previously in reception and nursery. And this is actually my first year in year one. Um, so again, that has been a transition for me going from one campus to the next. But within my sort of acting deputy and assistant head role, I do have those connections with both campuses and working with teachers across the phase as well. Yes. But again, I think I can see that that would be really useful to have somebody going into Key Stage 1 who has had that previous experience in nursery and reception, you know, having worked across the EYFS and then saying, right, well, what does progression look like then? You know, that you can keep you can keep the basis or the key principles of how children go about learning, can't you? But then add to it and develop it and build on it. Whereas I think what often happens is that that we see practice that is one model for the EYFS and then a, a compl- often a very a completely different model for key stage one. And I think what what you're talking about here is is practice that actually builds very clearly on top of um, the model that you've got from the EYFS, which I think is really interesting. And, and it's clear that your staffing structure fits with that. Definitely. And I think one thing that we've talked about, Hannah, as well, is in the EYFS, you have the characteristics of effective learning. And that is something that obviously doesn't stop when they leave reception and, and you know that's something that can be embedded within key stage one and having opportunities for playing playing and exploring and thinking critically and active learning as well and so how that sort of helps and continues to underpin progress in the key stage one curriculum yes yeah that's really interesting because i think quite often we talk about challenging key stage one being very much about the content and about what is being delivered. And the quality of it is about, often, often we talk about the quality of it being about actually how challenging is it in terms of the content that's being delivered. And yet, and yet in the early years, what we talk about actually is the quality is there if the learning attributes are there. And that if you see curiosity, if you see that real drive to learn, if you see that independence, if you see all of those different things, those characteristics of effective learning, that's when you know the quality is there, not actually, not necessarily always about the content. And yet we sometimes quite, well, we quite often lose that, I think, when we go through from from the early years into key stage one. So I think it's really refreshing to talk about not just the content, not what's being taught, but actually the quality of the learning experience, really. That, that I think comes across really well in what you're saying. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, both of you. Um, let's let's move on. Um, I know you've been doing a lot of work um, over the last year or so with my colleague Nova, um, and I, I was I spoke to Nova yesterday was it because um, we were I, I was saying to her yesterday that I was going to be speaking to you, and she said, "Oh, that's they're really enthusiastic." 
you're going to love speaking to them. They're perfect for the podcast because they're so enthusiastic about what they do. They will be absolutely passionate about it. And so I thought, first of all, I'd ask you about, about the project, you know, and how it's gone and what the starting points for the project that you've done with Nova uh, were. Um, would that be all right? Just tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, again, like we were saying, we, we um, wanted, we were looking at what was happening, the practice that was happening in the EYFS and thinking, well, how can we build upon that into Key Stage 1? And I think all of the things we've just been saying about, you know, we, we had lots of conversations about the things that we do within the early years foundation stage to support that development of independence, to support um, the characteristics of effective learning, to support the, the children in demonstrating as well as developing those. And then finding that there was a bit of a disconnect between then what happens in Key Stage one that the children get into a key stage one environment and suddenly they have to ask to be able to use the paint or to, to be able to find any resources that they need so that was really the starting point of thinking well well you know what how can we emulate that best practice but also put it in a context that's right for key stage one um so with that work very much started um pre-covid uh, where we started looking at the learning environments and um taking that notion of the environment as the third teacher um, and starting to think about what our environments in key stage one looked like and then covid hit and the school we you know for, for two three years we, we had online learning um in hong kong in particular our schools have closed for a really long period of time so um, this has been the first year that we've actually had our children touch wood um, in school for, for the whole year and um, for the first time in, in three years because prior to, to COVID we had the backdrop of the protests in Hong Kong as well. Um, so the work that we've been doing um, really has taken off this year um, in the sense of how can we build a key stage one experience that is underpinned by the rigour of the, the curriculum, the UK curriculum but also that, that talks to um, building those positive attributes for learning um, and, and build and continuing that great practice that we're seeing um, within nursery and reception and also building on the great practice that we already had in place in Key Stage 1 um, and thinking about not taking things away but actually how do we get children to a better end point um, by, by having a pedagogy that, that's underpinned um, by that so, so that's really where, where the journey started um, and I think we, we went through quite a um, Quite a, quite a lot of conversations about what practice should look like. Um, and, and I think play can, we, we talk about this a lot, that play can be quite a challenging word for staff and for parents sometimes, because it's that idea of not really having a clear description of what play looks like. Um, so we, we tried lots of things um, and, and we've sort of developed practice that really we, we've got to a point now, and um, particularly with the work that we've done with Nova, that really helps the children to access the curriculum, that our adults are facilitators of that curriculum, but we're also really, um, first and foremost, rather than starting with the curriculum we're starting with the children so when we say that we're a child you know we start with the children that the, the children are at the center of everything we do um, we start with the children rather than starting with the curriculum but have the curriculum and those end of year expectations in mind when we're thinking about the children wow yeah they're fantastic and it's it, um it it then makes you think about i suppose a difference with in terms of the role of the adult as well doesn't it that actually the the adult role has really potentially dramatically changed in in what you're talking about here, and I, and I guess that takes quite a leap in terms of in terms of adults in school. Is that right? Yeah, and, and I guess that's become part of the project, has it? 
It has. And uh, we, we sort of started off by really looking at our timetables in Key Stage 1 and taking away um, the single subject um, learning time. So rather than going from maths to reading to writing to science to, you know, we, we took that away so that um, we could really pinpoint when points in the day would be um, for specific teaching areas that were, would not play um, and that were times when explicit teaching needed to happen and then areas where we could allow that uninterrupted learning time for the children children being within the environment. Um, so that certainly was where we started with looking at time and timetabling. And I think one of the, the difficulties sometimes with an international school can be that we also have the amazing um, specialist curriculum. So we have specialist teachers for PE, um, for Mandarin, for music, for learning technologies. And they, they have to be quite fixed, particularly in a school that's a through school um, because of timetabling constraints. But we really did look at where those things had to happen and trying to open up um, lengths of time where, where the children could come in and, and have much more of an opportunity to explore and where the adults could facilitate learning. Um, and I think, Ruth, you'd probably be able to talk a little bit more in detail about that role. Um, yeah. 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 And I think um, going on from what Hannah said there and um, sort of this project that we've been on, it's giving teachers and empowering them when you do your team planning, you know, this is what we're going to cover in English this week you've got then your timetable to decide when is best to have your adult input on that, when is best to give them their um, adult initiated learning where they go and complete their challenge and when can they have time within the environment and also building the children up to manage their own time so they know I'm going to work on this and I need to do this independently and then if I want to I can go into the environment and access these different areas as well. Um, and one thing that working with NOVA I found really useful is just really developing our incidental learning. And um, that's been something that we've seen within the environment and how the children have been responding. It's just really enabled us to sort of ensure that curriculum coverage in just the most simple of ways. And then it's just continually happening. So you're not having to constantly go back and teach the time or teach the days of the week. You know it's an objective, but you're not having to do these um, big chunks of adult input on it because you've done it once and then it's just embedded within your practice. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a, it's it very much a kind of a smarter way of working in, the, in that you use all of the tools available to you. Whereas I think quite often, in, particularly in Key Stage 1, if we talk about teaching tools, they are usually about... The whole, what happens at whole, the whole carpet, what happens and then in, in terms of group work. And then beyond that, not that much necessarily. Whereas I think really that approach, the approach that you're talking about, is actually such a varied tool that actually you've got, or, or a varied number of tools, that actually you've got a range of tools to be able to use, whether that be routines so that you have different things that happen or certain things that happen every single day, perhaps. Um, so I don't know whether, no, did Nova talk to you about sort of routines that you might have every day around things like um, watch monitors? Did you have that? Did you mention that? Yeah. Is that something you've done? We have that up and running. Um, so, for example, in one of the year one classes, there's two watches each day. That's one of the responsibilities. Um, they taught the time at the start of term one. And now that's just embedded as one of the daily routines. It's actually really nice seeing the children come in going, oh, I hope I'm on time to you today because I've brought my own watch. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, them 
having that enthusiasm to have these responsibilities, but also continue to build on their own knowledge and understanding of, you know, those specific aspects of the curriculum that we think, oh, teaching the flying, we need to revisit that. They still don't know the o'clock and the half past. Actually, things like that, just dripping it in, just makes it so much easier. Again, just for people who who aren't aware of, of that as a routine, could you just explain a little bit about how that works practically? Yeah, so we did um, probably two weeks of teaching the time where we had inputs as a class, inputs um, in small groups, and then children had independent challenges they had to complete. And then once we'd done that, we introduced time teams. So in the morning, when we have our morning meeting, we give out um, roles and responsibilities. One of them is the time team, and there's certain times within the day that the children on time team have to know and that they have to go and get the tambourine and shake the tambourine and tell us it's time to tidy up. We've got snack because every day there's going to be certain times that we have to stop. We have to get ready for lunch. So just things like linked provision stops at 9 a.m., 9 o'clock. So whoever's on time team will go and shake the tambourine or tidy up times at 2.30. So these kind of simple times that you can drip in that they have to do each day and then you know, they having access to that and not having to keep revisiting that in term three because they've already learned yeah. it. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? In, the, in that it's it's then very much meaningful to the children and it's a, it's a, a kind of steady every single day reinforcement of what you've taught. So what you've taught is, is then seen as useful. So it, it does make perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and it makes sense to the children. It's something that interests them. And it's it's something that they see the value in it. And I, I had a lovely moment um, in one of the year one classes um, a few weeks ago where um, it was the afternoon and um, the, the learning technology, the devices were there ready for the children. And um, one of the children had said to me, we can't open them just yet because they don't open until two o'clock. And they were keeping their eye and they were saying, in 10 minutes time, it will be two o'clock. And you just think for five and six year olds to have developed that knowledge, they've not been taught 10 minutes before the hour, but they've developed that knowledge because they're learning about time in such a relevant context to them. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as well, one of the things that I know Nova talks quite a lot about is that idea of not necessarily just really focusing on, on topics as in blocks of time, but to think about actually what could happen throughout the year. And so, for example, I, I think um, quite often we get very caught up in the idea that we're going to deliver a certain part of of our curriculum in a, at a particular time in the year. So that might be in Key Stage 1, for example, a, a kind of life processes and living things kind of topic that might happen kind of in the spring or the summer term. And that, that happens for you know, half a term. And then we move on to a half a term on something else. And at that point, we go and get a big box full of things that fit that topic. There are loads of resources and we bring them out into the room. And then after six weeks, we put them all away again. When when actually some of those resources are far more effective if they're available throughout the year. So, you know, for example, you know, a, um, a, perhaps, a, you know, a globe, for example, you know, a, a world map or a, or a skeleton, a model skeleton. You know, those sorts of things that actually might have been part of our topic box that might just have come out for six weeks or seven weeks. But actually, what instead what we're doing is we're saying, right, actually, if that resource, if that particular resource is valuable enough for learning, it needs to be out for a longer period so that we have more conversations about it over time. 
does that fit with with kind of what some of the things that you've that you've put in place definitely and i think that comes down to the way that we adapted our planning processes so um, the, the long-term planning or the medium-term planning has become high-quality continuous provision plans and thinking about what we're going to have out for the children, what's relevant with regards to the curriculum and then the potential for learning in the different uh, different areas of, within the provision. Um, and I think that for, for colleagues that are less used to working in a way like this and, and not used to being able to see the potential for curriculum coverage through continuous provision, that has been really, really powerful. And it's also supportive of the adults that work within the environment that are the non-teaching staff or, or the non-teachers, I should say, um, because it helps them to see the context for, for the different areas of where they've set up so they go from I think certainly with our journey that we went from a point of them looking very nice to now them looking fantastic and there being real purpose behind why those things are there Um, and seeing the way that the children interact with the environment so they know where to get those resources Um, they know the different things that they're able to find and like you say there are certain things that are relevant to be out throughout the year rather than just bringing them out and taking them away again. Um, but that then comes down to our weekly planning, which is a very detailed process within um, our team planning and meetings where the teams will get together and talk about the enhancements that need to be out, whether that's according to the children's interests, whether that's according to an aspect of the curriculum that's being focused upon, or whether that's to do with something that's just popped up um, that, that's relevant within our community or, or relevant within with the children that are within the class. Um, so that has been something that's been a real shift in in terms of our planning in key stage one um, because really thinking about that potential for learning when the children are in the environment and um, always seeing the environment as, as a time for learning so we, we talk about the fact that we, we don't want to have this idea of the real learning happens when the children are with the teacher and then they can go off on play learning is happening whenever the children step into the environment whether that's indoors or outdoors yeah, absolutely. It's it's really interesting. I think in in that quite often I th- I think we associate learning with being still. That that children are only learning when they are sitting still in some way or in one way or another. That if they're on the carpet or at the group table and they're sitting still, then that's where the the real challenge happens. When actually, the more we know about young children, um, the more we 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 really notice. I think that actually. The, often the real high quality and often real challenge happens not just when the children are still, but many children will learn through being quite physical, through being in an outdoor space. Some children learn in the most in, in their most effective way when they are outside, for example, um, when they are moving. And that they will be listening, but actually it doesn't look like listening and sitting still. It's a different kind, you know, it's a different sort of thing. Um, and presumably that that's taken quite a shift, I would imagine, to, to sort of start to look at learning in a broader sense like that. Definitely. I think it's that move away from from quite a um, formalized way of learning, I suppose, where you'd have a, a whole class input and then you'd move into your differentiated groups and then have a plenary at the end. Um, we've very much moved towards um, a different way of learning um, where we recognize that there are, there are definite times and places for whole class inputs to take place, but that also sometimes those inputs can be with much smaller groups of children. Um, and sometimes the adult input is actually playing alongside the children and bringing that that those elements of learning to the children and and sort of co-constructing that learning with the children as well yeah fantastic really interesting really interesting hearing you both talking about it um i know that you did a, a presentation 
Um, one of the things that Nova mentioned was that you'd done a presentation to to a, a big group of, of international schools. And I was I was really interested to ask you how it had gone and what it felt like. And, you know, that kind of talking, because it's quite a personal thing, isn't it? I think talking about something you've put in place in your own school is such a personal thing that you kind of, there's a bit of you that one, I don't know, I'm, I'm talking for you here, but certainly from my own perspective and from my own experience, there's a bit of you that kind of, wants to share it and be really proud of it and then another bit of you that thinks but what will other people think you know there's this sort of you know that what if everybody says oh but we've already done that kind of you know what I mean there's a do you know do, 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 do you know what I'm, I'm kind of getting at how, how did it feel when you presented it <laughs> I think in an international context as well which is slightly different to when you're working in the UK is that you can be quite isolated because it's not necessarily as easy to go into another setting and say oh can I see your um, key stage one environment because it's just a bit more difficult in an international context in, instead of when you're in the UK and you might have like an academy you're in a group of or you know there's other people that you moderate with and um, so for us it was just thinking right we're sharing this with people across Asia and it was myself and another colleague and we really just went down to where we started and now what our planning looks like and then what does that look like in action and after we'd done it we just thought can't believe we've actually put all that together and (laughs) you know put our journey into one sort of presentation and once we got going we couldn't really stop talking about it either it was quite a long long presentation but I think we were quite proud of ourselves at the end because you know we've seen a lot of progression this year just from the outcomes of the children because you know we do believe in this approach and we haven't had as Hannah said the time to you know really go for it because of the school closures here and one of the biggest things people wanted to ask us was um but do the children write and do you get (laughs) writing? And one of the things we found this year, especially in year one, my other colleagues will agree with me, is that there is so much writing happening all the time because we've set those expectations for when they're in the environment and they now know that writing doesn't just happen with me at the writing table. It doesn't just happen in their phonics lesson. It should be happening all the time. And, you know, you're talking about the outdoor environment, but I often find children going into the classrooms to get all the writing resources to then go and write outside as well. So it's just happening everywhere. And even your most reluctant writers are wanting to write the date in full, write what their construction is. And then, you know, they're even building on evaluating that now. And some of the work from Nova was talking about adding a success criteria mm. for that area now in term three, just to extend them a little bit more because they've got the date down and um, just how we can continue to build on that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. And really interesting as well that that predictably what people will ask about will be the writing. You know, that kind of, you know, it, it's very predictable whether you're, whether you're in the UK or, you know, over in China, wherever you happen to be, that actually that will be, what people will be concerned about is whether you still manage to get a certain amount of writing from your children and the quantity and the quality of that writing. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting that actually what you've got in place there is a safety net, isn't it? That you're not saying that actually the directed teaching has stopped, you know, far from it, that actually you've really planned out the directed teaching, the phonics teaching, the, the group work and all of those other things that we need 
But what you've done is you've added to that overall picture to make sure that writing is happening in that broader sense as well. And so that children are not just seeing writing as something that happens when we're told to write, but actually they're using writing as a tool to express their ideas, as a, a writing as a way of, of expressing what they're thinking. And that's far more meaningful, isn't it? For sure. We had a, um, a focus as a phase as well on, on having high expectations um, of, of the children and um, or high expectations within the environment. And I think that is what underpins a lot of what you get out of the children when you have an approach like this, is that it comes down to the expectations you have of the children. So, And being really clear with the children and explicit about that and not being afraid to you know, share with them that if they are going to go into the construction area, then what the outcome needs to be at the end of that is a sentence about what they've created or, or building onto some of those children a story about what they've created or a description of a setting. or um, And it's sort of when we have experiential learning opportunities as part of what the children do and um, they start woodwork when they're in nursery and they continue that right through um, into year two and then in, in beyond into key stage two. But when they come into year one, the expectation is if they're going to go to woodwork, they have to make a plan. It has to be labelled. They have to take it with them. So they're still having all those rich experiences but the, the expectations on the children are much higher um, so that you see that progression from, from when the children start in nursery through to what they're achieving at the end of year two. Yes, it is really interesting, isn't it, that, that I th what you've brought in here is something that is more about hands-on learning or, or, you know, you could, or you could play, call it play or inquiry-based learning or, you know, however you're going to kind of call it, whatever you're going to call it. But what you're... But what we're talking about is, is we're talking about raised um, expectations alongside that. And I think that is key, isn't it? That we're not just talking about play being as something that is, is quite low level or something that is just kind of happening in between times, in between teaching times. You can go off and kind of let off a bit of steam and then I'm going to call you back. But this is play or inquiry-based learning or active learning, which is seen as very very much planned for and very very much something that, that 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 we have high expectations for does that make sense and i think that that has to be clear doesn't it that it is it's not just something that happens in between teaching yeah yeah and i think as well with the high expectations we have on have of the children especially in key stage 1 they are beginning to manage their own time a lot more within we call it sort of discovery time where you know they might be in the environment independently they might have challenges to complete but we will get children that think oh it's Tuesday today I've only done one challenge and I've got two more to go so I really should do another one today because I know tomorrow we've got PE Mandarin this I won't have any time but the fact you've got a six-year-old verbalizing that and reasoning how they're going to use their time is just amazing because that's what they're going to need throughout their life. You know, <laughs> these skills that you need to develop. And it's not it's not something you usually would hear from a you know six-year-old child if they were in an environment where you know they were just told to go from A to B and have their day dictated to them. It's giving them that bit of you know autonomy to decide mm -hmm. how and when they're going to learn but knowing they also have things they have to achieve those sort of non-negotiables yeah that's really interesting I, mean, I think we've covered most of this actually already but I, I was going to ask you about impact 
So um, what, would, what would you say would be the kind of the main impact of, of the work that you've done to develop the practice? You know, what are you seeing in the children? I think you've talked about some of it, but kind of what, what, what are the key impacts, would you say? I would say um, certainly with regards to developing positive attributes for learning, we've, we've certainly seen a difference in the children and, and their, their independence, the way they're able to manage their time and the way that they're able to approach learning. Um, and I think the the um, we were noticed, I mean, particularly through COVID, the resilience of the children and, and how, how amazingly they've coped with the changes that have been put upon them. But actually now that they're back in school and, and learning through an approach such as this, they're able to be flexible with their time. They're able to take risks. They're able to talk through their ideas. And we're certainly seeing that. And then I think we then see that in terms of what we're, the data of the outcomes of the children in, in terms of subject specifics. Um, so we're seeing that the children, for example, that the quality of the writing that they're producing, because they are doing that on such a regular basis, not only what they're producing, but the stamina that they have for writing has really increased over the last year. Um, reading is another area that we've, we've certainly seen progress um, with the children, I think, because it's not something that they are told to do. It's something that they see of worth and they see the importance of engaging with that. Um, and again, we have that time where they're taught explicit skills that they need to be able to read, but also there are many, many opportunities that they have within the environment to apply those skills. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing, not only in the children themselves as learners, but also within the data, that summative data um, that we have as well. Wow, that's fun. You must be thrilled to be, to be able to sort of sort of look back on this period of time which must have been quite a quite a challenge at times I should think and quite a lot of change happening and kind of sort of trying to piece it together and, and kind of make it work for you as a school like you said before in terms of timetabling and in terms of other things that happen it's quite a challenge isn't it fitting it all together but to be able to look back on that period and look at the children and to see the difference in the children is incredibly rewarding I think. Definitely. And I think co what COVID has done is, is sort of um, created this catch up culture almost. So we're so conscious about that coverage that we've lost that focus on actually what the children need and where they're at and what their strengths are and where we can build upon that and, and move from those starting points of the children. So I think what we've we've achieved is rather than focusing on all of the things they've missed out on is actually thinking about where they're at and how we can support them in moving forwards from that. And um, we, we haven't sort of focused on all the things that they need to catch up on per se we've sort of focused on well what are the strengths that they have now and what can we do to support the children in their next steps of their learning journey I think that's a really interesting point you know that the, the often catch-ups are about content not about not about developing the learning attributes and and I think quite often we miss out when actually we pile it all on in terms of content I think if unless we've got children who are really curious and interested and fascinated by things and who are developing independence or, you know, all of those key skills, actually, we're not going to get that far with it, really. Now, I think that's a really interesting point. Definitely. And you, you're certainly, I think what we've seen is a lot of sort of surface level learning, but we're, when you really focus on those skills and attributes, actually that deep learning will occur. So you're seeing less of, and, and the, we'll see more, I guess, within the next few years when we're looking at that data year on year. But hopefully what we, we're aiming to see is less of that lag between summer and then starting term one, and actually that that deep learning has occurred. So we're not finishing term three and then taking a few steps back because the children, you know, they need to make up that summer break and things. 
actually we'll be seeing much more of a continuum because that learning is deep level rather than surface level. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think also what you're the approach that you're talking about, particularly going from the EYFS into key stage one, that I think it sounds to me like your practice as you have it or doesn't take away a transition as such, but I think it certainly smooths that transition. Whereas I, th- I think quite often we have a huge transition between reception and year one in the UK quite often that is about, you know, almost sort of saying, right, that's how you used to learn. That's what you used to do in the YFS. That's how they do it there. And now we're going to kind of put a full stop and we're going to say, right, we start again and this is how we learn now from now on. Whereas, I, and you can do as much as you like in terms of visiting your new classroom and about kind of introducing the children to it and all of that kind of thing, but it's still a different approach. Whereas, I think if we're if we're really going to talk about transition being effective, I think transition has to be a transition of approaches, not a transition about visits for parents or visits for children or kind of dates in the diary, but about about actually how do you really make sure that there is a a smooth transition in terms of the practice? And I I think that's what it sounds like from what you're describing. Yeah, Yeah, I would agree with that, Um, especially for year one, at the start of term one, the environment and how we are teaching is so similar to what the children have experienced in reception. Those children that have come from our reception environment found the transition very seamless just sort of continued with how they were you know in their um, learning before just how we as a phase reception year one year two and nursery plan and the terminology we use with the children it's very consistent so you know we have challenges that the children complete we call them star challenges in reception they only have one but then when they came to year one we only had one as well but then that's soon like increased as we go up to three in year one. But as they sort of transitioned through that first half term, you know, that language is very normal to them. They understand what that means, the environment and how we sort of set up our day and our timetable is very similar. So I think for those children, it wasn't a huge shock mm. of, oh, my goodness, we now have to do all this or I have to sit down and do lots and lots of writing. Um, they still have aspects of that, but it's just taught in a very similar way, especially in the first half term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yet at the same time, what you've also talked about is is a lot of challenge, and and about expectations being very high. You know, so it's not that you've lost that, that either. And and so there is a way I think of having continuity, which is which is what you've just talked about, of course, alongside progression. So the the two can marry up. It's not one or the other. Whereas I think sometimes when people try to do or talk about kind of bringing more more of a play-based or active learning approach into Key Stage 1, the, 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 it's, I think, often seen as, well, where will the challenge be or where will the, you know, where will the progression be? When, when actually the, it is possible to do both. It is possible to have continuity and progression, I think. 
Definitely. And I think those are definitely feelings that we can certainly relate to when we were at the start of that journey, sort of thinking, well, are we going to have to have one or the other? How do we ensure this, but allow the children to have autonomy? And I think it's that change um, that we've been through as practitioners that's been supported by quality professional learning opportunities um, that really has developed us all as a phase and um, and having a wonderful team that's so open to um, trying new ideas and also that are so skilled in order to bring their own skill set to to what they're doing as well that that's been a huge bonus and um yeah i'd say we can certainly relate to that feeling of um trying to get that balance and and really coming to that conclusion and, and recognition that it's not one or the other that it's it's one serves the other you know yes. no absolutely the communication between the year groups and so year two teachers talk with year one teachers year one teachers talk with reception and so you know that transition from eyfs to key stage one we're aware of what the children are doing in reception in the construction area. We're aware of what they might be writing in their English sessions. So it's then being able to pitch what the next cohort coming up, what their capabilities are and pitching that correctly at the start of the year and then ensuring our environments reflect the needs of that cohort as well. Fantastic. Okay, super. And, and then just finally, I was going to ask you about um, what's next. So kind of, you know, having gone through this and, and you may be you may be and, and well within your rights to say, well, what's next is we have a bit of a rest. <laughs> <laughs> I always know that actually there's always usually something else on the horizon that you've got your sights on. And you get to the kind of you get to a point where you develop so much and then you think that there is often another bit that you think, oh, that's the next thing for us. So for you, is, is, there, is there another thing that you've, that you've kind of set your sights on? I think there's definitely, first and foremost, I think we do need to have that that sense of time to embed. So I, as we look ahead to the next year, we, we want that time to embed because of the year that we've had and, and the fantastic things that we've achieved. But at the same time, um, we've already started to because we're consistently thinking about well, what is next you know, for us as a team. Um, we're starting to look within key stage one at the outdoors. So how can we maximize the potential of the outdoors? And we've been doing um, some work with Nova on that as well. Um, and really, you know, that, that link between um you know we do it so well um in nursery and reception settings all over the world in terms of that that flow between the indoors and outdoors and how do we make sure that we have that or that we we have an element of that within key stage one so so the use of the outdoors is an area that we really want to focus on um and within uh, nursery and reception we, we really want to look at our assessment processes and and making the most of high quality observations and and how we're using those to um you know move the children on and and looking at the quality of the observation assessment and planning cycle and, and really ensuring that our children have the best opportunities um, in that sense. And um, of course, making sure that we continue to have that, that progression from nursery through to year two. So continuing to have those opportunities for learning walks, um, collaboration for, for colleagues. Um, again, being on two separate campuses can be difficult at times, um, but that you know it just means that we have to be more aware of, of providing those opportunities so that we can ensure that there is that link between early years foundation stage and key stage one as well. Fabulous. Wonderful. Well, it has been super to talk to you both and really, really interesting to hear about the journey. You know, that journey from, you know, kind of from from having kind of slightly kind of different, uh, I suppose, a gap between the, the EYFS and, and Key Stage 1 and then how you kind of fill that gap and how you kind of build that process of 
learning and development and, and develop a clear picture of what that looks like um, in terms of moving through from the EYFS into Key Stage 1, I think is, is fascinating to hear about. To re- and and to, not just that, but to hear about the impact of it. You know, it's always really interesting to hear about what that looks like in the children. You know, in the children's faces, what does that what does what does that curiosity look like? And and children who are who are able to kind of start to think about and plan some of their own learning, as you were talking about before, Ruth, it's, it's, it's just really interesting to hear about and be and to be able to picture that. I think is wonderful. So so yes, thank you so much. Yeah, the the things that the children say, it really that sort of assures us that we're on the right journey and when you see hear those things that the children are saying and the passion that they have for their learning um the way you know my own daughter is in year one and she asked for a calendar for Christmas because she wanted to keep plotting the dates that are on the uh, calendar and ticking off the days so and I know that that comes from the experiences she's had in school so it's when you hear that from the children that you know that you have that level of confidence in what you're doing and the impact it's having (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that was that was fabulous to talk to you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for giving your time and for, for sharing the, the journey with us. You're welcome. Thank you for yeah. having us. <laughs> so there you have it. Thank you very much to Hannah and also to Ruth for joining us on the podcast this week. I hope you've enjoyed listening to our conversation. Um, That's about it for this week. Um, So we'll see you next time.